0: I've got some questions for you today. Have you become cynical or critical at work or whatever your activities might be? Do you drag yourself to work and have trouble getting started? Have you become irritable or impatient with your coworkers, your customers, your clients, your friends, your family? Do you lack the energy to be consistently productive? Do you find it hard to concentrate? Do you lack satisfaction from your achievements? Do you feel disillusioned about your job, your your work, your life? Are you using food or other things to feel better or to simply not feel? Have your sleep habits changed? Are you troubled by headaches, by stomach problems or other physical complaints? Those are the questions that the Mayo Clinic uses to assess burnout symptoms. And I feel like, especially in the last few years, like we've dealt with pandemics and crises of all sorts and life change and transformations. And, and a lot of people are struggling with feeling like they're just out of energy, out of strength, out of whatever the last little drop of was in their spirit. But I don't, I don't think this is just like a life thing. This also becomes a faith thing that in in the faith world, if we want to talk about like, am I feeling dried up and empty and I need something? We talk about needing revival. I need some awakening. I need to be brought back to life. How do I bring my faith back to life? When is is my faith becoming a drudge? Is it hard to concentrate enough to pray? Am I feeling distant from a God? Am I feeling like it's a struggle to, to go to church or go to some sort of spiritual um, moment that you're trying to get to? And I feel like we all long for some level of revival in our lives. So we feel like we're we're on critical condition and we long to be brought back to fullness of life. That we know that, that God doesn't want us just to survive. He wants us to thrive. And I think we all long for that. And so I think that it's interesting that there's this great hunger and need for that kind of experience. And so I don't know if you saw on the news or on social media, but... Uh, down in Kentucky in February, there was uh, what was called as a revival going on at Asbury uh, University, Asbury Theological Seminary, a bunch of college kids who felt like God was talking to them and calling them to something different. And I think what's interesting is, uh, depending on how you look on that occasion, uh, there was a chapel service that nothing seemed remarkable about it, It wasn't like it was a great sermon, wasn't like it was amazing music, they just... They just didn't end chapel and I've been in a lot of chapels and Christian schools growing up and I don't know many people who wanted chapel just to keep going as usually it's a requirement it's like I got to go do this thing uh, but chapel just didn't end And either that was the greatest ploy of students who had an exam after chapel to go for two weeks of like well we'll just stay in chapel you're not going to make a stop chapel right? Either that or it's just a bunch of hungry young people saying, God, there should be something more. And I think that there was something resonating about that where a lot of people, tens of thousands of people who wanted to go down there because they just are longing for something more in their life and saying, I just want to find this moment, find this experience. Can I just, I just want to feel again? And so I think that there's something in them that's hungry. I think there's something in us that's hungry for something more. And so. Today, I'm going to invite us into like, there's a habit that's really easy that we might neglect sometimes that actually brings about the opportunity for revival in our life every day if we would just take that opportunity. But before we can get to that, I want to read us a story. And the story comes from Matthew chapter 17. And it's going to be a mountaintop experience. So Matthew chapter 17 six days later jesus took with him peter and james and his brother john and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white and suddenly there appeared to them moses and elijah talking with him then peter said to jesus lord it is good for us to be here if you wish i'll make three dwellings here one for you one for moses and one for elijah And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. The word of the Lord thanks be to God. I love that this story begins with a little trip. They're going hiking. They're going up a mountaintop. And uh, it's just a small group of Jesus and his disciples. It's Peter and James and John. And I don't know what they expected that day. I know that they've been around Jesus for a while. And so I would assume you expect some things to be a little bit unusual, but, but you know that we get used to things. So even if you lived around Jesus, at some point you're just going to get used to the activities that go on. And so who knows how aware they are of a potential for something unique to happen that day. But they're going up the mountaintop. I feel like if you were following them on social media, you'd be feeling like you're missing out because they're taking some mountaintop pictures. They've got hashtag blessed. They've got their Bible verse that they might be quoting and putting over these images. Uh, This is a, a fun place to be because you become reflective going up a mountaintop you you start looking out at the land and you start contemplating yourself and so uh, I think that this is a great place for Peter and James and John to be whether they knew it fully or not and they're walking up this mountaintop and then suddenly something happens that they're not going to have words for that they're not going to quite understand so that Jesus was transfigured before them now we get two physical elements in the text that his face shone bright like the sun and his his clothes went dazzling white but like what exactly that means I think that there's a reason that the words are struggling to give you an exactness for it but something shown out in Jesus that we just don't know how to say out loud and and something about who he was became obvious became apparent became uh, overwhelming in ways. And I always like to kind of describe this story as it's a little bit like Jesus is the undercover boss and his, his bad little fake mustache is coming off. You know, he's like, ha, ah, this is who I really am in this moment. And Peter and James and John get to be like, oh no, how did I do today? What did I say to him? Oh, oh who is this? But they have this moment of seeing Jesus in real life uh you know we live in a world where you can take your cell phone out and put filters on yourself for other people but but this is like the filter of jesus coming off and i see him clearly for the first time and if that's not weird enough for peter and james and john to have to process who is this jesus in front of me the text says that some other people appeared moses and elijah i don't know how they knew it was moses and elijah uh, i don't know what great artwork existed or what great images but I don't know if they introduce themselves by name but they they come to the realization oh my goodness moses and elijah are here what do i do with that and i think for us it's important to realize that at that time especially moses and elijah kind of represent scripture to those people Uh, because moses is the main character of a lot of genesis uh through deuteronomy the first five books of the bible and because he's so prevalent in the text he became known Uh, as well these are the books of Moses and and people started to think of him as the writer of all of these books there's some weirdness to doing that in your head of um, in the story Moses dies at the end and it says no one knows where he was buried and that's a little bit weird if he's writing it Uh, he and in the book uh, it also talks about Moses being the most humble person on the planet and that's a little weird if Moses is writing it Uh, there's things about the the people who are in the land and the time frame that doesn't quite make sense but but he's so prominent in those books that it becomes shorthand well moses said moses did this Moses, these are moses books it's a little bit like you know we talk about the white house said you know it's like the building of the white house did not say that sorry but we know the figure of speech the association is so prominent with that office that that we get the the reference so Moses is seen, though, as being the first five books of the Bible. We are used to having Bibles that are fully printed for us with a, with a list of books in them. Uh, that's not what they had. They had a, some scrolls, and there wasn't a closed canon yet. There was no, here is the Hebrew Bible, here's the Old Testament, here's the First Testament. There's no canon list. But they did know the Law of Moses, and they did have a lot of prophets. And so the law and the prophets were the kind of pretty well um, taken for granted as these are scripture. Uh, if you remember the Sadducees in the New Testament story, they only believe in Moses's books. They don't really take any of the rest of it. But for most people at that time, the law and the prophets is a safe bet. This is scripture. And the biggest name prophet is Elijah. And so I know we don't have a book like we do for Isaiah and Jeremiah, but, but Elijah gets the prominence of, okay, if I'm talking about Moses and I'm talking about Elijah, I'm talking about the main figures of Scripture are standing here right in front of me with Jesus. And they're talking with Jesus. Anybody else wonder why we get no dialogue speech in this text? If you're in that story, you can't give us a little taste. What are they talking about? the gospel writer does not think that matters to you as much as what he does reveal about the story but you would like to know those kinds of things right what are they talking to jesus about but moses and elijah kind of scriptural witness is talking to jesus on the mountaintop and wouldn't you know it peter thinks you know what i think now is a good time to talk if you can imagine if you could bring anyone to the dinner party anybody in historical you know the anybody in the past You can have them at your dinner party. This is a usual question people ask. Who would you invite to the dinner party? Who would then talk the whole time? Wouldn't you want to hear what they had to say? It's like, all right, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are here. But hey, Jesus, let me take a little bit of your time. And so Peter steps in and he interjects. And I love that Peter does this throughout the gospel. Like he's always willing to just interject. I think I've got a good idea. Here's my idea for what we should do. You now the story began six days later. If you wanted to know what happened six days ago, Jesus told them that the Son of Man must die and be raised. And Peter had a good idea to say, no, God, that sounds awful. That, that sounds like an awful plan, Jesus. And Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. Like, you, your ways, you're not thinking like God thinks. Like, I, I need you to settle down a little bit. And so he just had to be scolded of like, hey, you're trying to pull me in the wrong direction. And here we are, six days later, Peter's really taking this advice to heart. And he sees this moment and he says, you know what, Jesus, I've got an idea. Why don't we just make some, I've got some tents I can put up. And I'll make a tent for you. I'll make a tent for Moses. I'll make a tent for Elijah. It's good for us to be right here. Let's just stay here. Especially if you're thinking about you're talking about going towards death. Why don't we stay here? This would be a great place to stay. You look great today, Jesus. You're having a great hair day. <laughs> you're just, let's just stay here. And I think there's a temptation in all of us when we have these meaningful spiritual experiences that we say, we're not supposed to keep moving. We, we have to stay in this spot. And I think when Asbury had their revival, there was a lot of temptation for a lot of people to come and try to take ownership of that moment. Because when revival happens, if, if Jesus is shown out and is bright and is visible, what people want to do is they want to use that for their purposes. Can it be, um, can it lift my platform up? Can it lift my way of seeing things up? And so everybody wants to come and say, if God's doing something, I need it to bless me and not my enemies. And so there was a lot of temptation for a lot of public figures, a lot of uh, people who like their platforms to be big, to want to create their own tents around that revival, their own branded tents. So you had specific figures who, uh, both from far left positions and far right positions, people who were wanting to say, God is lifting us up in this moment. And Peter wants to make his own tents. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, uh, here's what we need for right now. And I feel like Matthew uh, does Peter a little dirty in this text. He, he really didn't have to do this to Peter, but it says that while Peter was still talking, the voice of the cloud starts to talk. You could have just said Peter said this idea, and now we have this voice from heaven, but it's like Peter was still trying to talk, and God was not waiting for Peter to finish this thought. While Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from that cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And this is almost identical to the statement that I quoted last week when we read the Jesus and the temptation story. That followed up Jesus' baptism. And Jesus' baptism. The dove comes, the sign, and then you get this voice that says, this is my son, the beloved, with him I'm well pleased. You get one add-on, though, in this version. In this story, it says, listen to him. Peter needed to hear that. He's like, oh, I, I think I have something to say here. I, I, I've got a great idea. Uh, hey, stop talking. Listen to him. My beloved, my son is right in front of you. He's shining. Maybe take some moments and listen. But it's not only Peter in the scene. What is it for this voice to say that in the presence of Moses and Elijah? This, Jesus, is my son in whom I'm well pleased. My beloved, listen to him. And there's something in this story that encourages us to see Jesus as the lens through which we should read all of Scripture. That every story in the Bible can get used in all sorts of ways. We all build our own tents with our own branding of how we want God to look in the world, how we want it to sound. But there's something about Jesus continually being the one that we're supposed to listen to. How does this story relate to how Jesus shows who God is? When we read conquest stories, Where god says kill the the men the women the children the animals and we're like that story doesn't make sense like like god are you calling for genocide what do i do with this difficult story christians for 2000 years have asked those questions and what they did was they said i've got to read these things in light of jesus what do i do in light of jesus and so they did things like saying okay, I've got to get rid of all of the, the junk in my life, the, the evil that still remains. I can't let any of it stick with me. That There's something like that. Where that Jesus is able to conquer all of those sins and all of those corruptions in me, but, but I can't just take this story at face value anymore. I've got to read it in light of who Jesus is. And so when we read scripture, we are encouraged to listen to Jesus. What would Jesus say about these things? Uh, earlier in Matthew, it says that Jesus tells them, you have heard it said, do not kill. He's quoting scripture. He's quoting the great, you know, the Ten Commandments. But what I say to you is, if you realize that your brother has something against you, go fix that relationship first and then come back to the temple. Jesus is, is telling us that we, you've heard these scripture texts, but maybe you should reconsider them in light of his life his death his resurrection his teachings and so for us we are invited to read scripture afresh with jesus and so that's the habit i want to invite us into which is if you read the bible with jesus in mind you might just be able to listen to him you might be able to just to hear his word for your life it might call you into something new And you might think sometimes i read these texts and it looks weird to me i don't understand it but there's something about if you're reading with jesus that maybe something in the text starts to glimmer starts to shine starts to dazzle like jesus's clothes or his face that something in the text speaks to you that stands out and says i don't know what all of this is saying but here's what i hear god saying to me through this text right now this is this is what needed to dazzle to me to stand out to be noticeable to be revealed to me right now and so I I would encourage you if you're trying to read with Jesus there's a few characteristics that I think are pretty safe to trust that okay how do I read this text in light of Jesus you should read it in light of love when Jesus calls us to love our enemies and we really struggle to do it how do I read the Bible and love my enemies and that's going to be trustworthy of reading it with Jesus And so uh in matthew later and a few more chapters later uh someone's going to ask jesus what's what's the greatest commandment He says love god love your neighbor and so if we read the bible and we say okay i have to figure out how do i love in this text that's a good starting place to reading with jesus we are also called to care for those who are overlooked the oppressed those who've been pushed down in society Think about Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, a different mountaintop experience in Matthew. Jesus gets up there and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus didn't just say, hey, if you feel great today, if life seems like it's going fine, blessings. He said, hey, there are some people who are mourning, and I want you to know God is there to comfort you he sees your tears uh, there will be a time where those tears are transformed but god sees those who go overlooked so how do we look for those who are who are oppressed mistreated as we read through bible the bible I'll give you one more we could go forever on this list of the characteristics of jesus and how you read the text but there should also be a lightness to reading the bible with jesus Jesus told us in Matthew 11 that his burden was light. There's a lot of people reading the text who kept putting more and more burdens on everybody. And he said that he wants you to be able to rest, that he carries a lot of those burdens, those weights for you. And sometimes we're carrying burdens that we don't need to be carrying, that we feel like, well, I think to be a Christian means I need to just just, uh, crucify myself by carrying all this baggage of stuff that maybe God's not calling you to carry it. Maybe you're just hurting yourself and you need to let go of those things. Maybe you're just making life a drudge that God isn't inviting you to. There is a self-denial. There is a cross to carry, but sometimes we choose that we want to carry certain crosses that maybe God isn't inviting us to carry. But what would it be to read Scripture saying, how does this free us up? How does this free us to live fully the way God wants us to? I think about the Sabbath laws. That's, that's one of those things that keeps coming up in the text. Wait, you healed somebody, but it's the Sabbath. Wait, what are you doing on the Sabbath? You're supposed to be resting. And Jesus said, hey, the Sabbath was made for humans, not the other way around. Like, like The rest is meant to uh, like heal us, to grow us. To, like, we're not meant to use that to just put rules on people, to make life harder on people. And so when we read with jesus we should be reading things that free us up to live fully the way god invites us to live and so i think that it's important to note if you want a revival in your life if you want scripture to transform you uh, it should look like jesus's story it should look like his way of life his way of love his way of of this burden being removed from your life and i was thinking uh if you didn't know the Asbury revival that was going on, uh, the administration decided to end it. And you might feel like, well, why would you end a revival? Like, that feels like a weird decision. And so they had tens of thousands of people going there and you're like, oh, you just cut it off? Don't we all want to be Peter and say, let's put the tents up. Let's just keep it going. Let's just stay in this moment forever. There was a quote from someone who dealt with the administration team that said, Uh, the Asbury team was just fried and there was decision fatigue and just burnout. It's not revival anymore if it's burning you out. And so sometimes if you try to hold on to something you're like, oh, this is really meaningful. I just got to hold on to this forever. I'm never letting this go. At some point, God has moved into something else and we have to be able to transition with God. Get up, move, walk with Him. And I think if you think about This town of 6,000 people was handling tens of thousands of people coming into town. I don't think it was just the administration feeling burnt out. At some point, the restaurants are feeling like, oh, it's great to have business, but like too much business. The congestion of traffic of miles of cars just sitting, waiting to get nearby. At some point, people are like, this is just a lot. And it's just become a burden on them. And I think we want to make tents and we want to stay in those places, but we also have to be recognizing when we are being burnt out by something and saying, "Okay, God, you got to move me in some other ways. You got call me into something new. I got to be able to get up from this moment. I got to go to the next thing. I can't just stay on this mountaintop forever." Where are you calling me? And so we read in the story that that Jesus is there and he's dazzling, and Moses, Elijah, and this voice from heaven. Uh, and, and when this happens, the disciples all kind of turn downward and they're afraid, and then it's just Jesus there. Moses and Elijah are gone again. and you have to figure out, well, what do I do with this story? Where do I go? what do I what do I do now? It's not a revival if it's just an experience. Like if it's just I want to feel good for a minute, maybe it's just like the the heart kind of like you got the jolts to get the energy back into you but you need the heart to keep going you need to live for something you gotta you gotta get up you gotta move again you you're not just revived just to have the experience and like okay i want that give me that pulse again i just want to feel the pulse just keep me with i don't want to beat my own heart i want to i just want the pulse we got to get up we got to move we got to be different we got to be transformed we got to be renewed we got to live differently you got to be different i think most of us want the warm cozy feeling of god transforming us but we don't want the actual transformation just keep cuddling with me god just keep holding me tight i don't i don't really want to be different though god i just want that blanket so cozy but we have to get up we have to move away we gotta we gotta walk with god we gotta go be different and so jesus sees them he sees that they're terrified he goes over he touches them and says hey get up and do not be afraid i think for many of us we're afraid of what change might look like for us you're like well if i read the bible am i going to realize that i might see things differently maybe some of my beliefs might change a little bit maybe some of my practices are going to have to change and so i think for a lot of us you're like well Maybe I don't want to read scripture because I'm afraid of what might happen. And I love that Jesus walks up to these people who are afraid and says, Don't be afraid, get up. Again, I think Peter is like, You know, I've got a good idea. I'm laying on the ground. I've got some tents. Just go to sleep here. I'll be good. But get up. There's work to do, there's life to be lived, there's other people who need these experiences. And I think true revival calls for transformation. True scripture reading calls for transformation. Too often we hear Bible verses read and we go, I know the exact person who needs to hear that story. It's usually not me. I know the other person who needs revival. But if we all sit around in a circle hoping somebody else gets revival, there's no revival. Because it starts with us saying, I'm showing up I know it's dangerous, God, change me, move me, transform me, but don't let me just sit here, send me out to live differently, to invite other people into this different way of life. And so I think if we enter into those experiences and we are true about it and we, we want to be transformed, we end up with a little bit of that shining light of Jesus on our own faces that people can't help, but see it They say, what's going on in your life? What are you up to? Like, how are you this way? And we're like Moses who, he, when he was near God and he comes down the mountain and his face shines like Jesus shines in the story, that we can reflect that onto other people. And so if you feel like, man, I'm drudging through life, don't you want your face to shine out where you can't even hide it? It just is out there. And so it's time for us to get up. And so I want to know, who do you want revival for today? Do you want it for somebody else? Do you want it for yourself? And if you want it for yourself, are you willing to take some small practices of like, you know what, I'm gonna put in the time to just show up on the mountaintop every day, or if, if you don't read the Bible very often, it's a once a year thing, it's a once a month, thing, whatever that next step is, just get into it more. I think every day you can get a lot out of life if you're always reflecting on God's word in your life. But if that's too much of a burden and it's too hard for you and you're like, you know what? I'm going to try at least once a week. I'm going to try every other day. Whatever that little step forward might be, you might realize God might have something for you to change you and you might just start hungering for it and you want that mountaintop. But you can't just spend your whole day only reading the Bible because that's not the point. That Bible goes with you, that scripture, that story, the Word of God goes with you, and you got to make it lived out in the world. you got to make a difference for somebody. you got to invite people into God's love. you got to make life less burdensome. And so, are we willing to live out that story? Not just read about it and enjoy reading about it, but live it out well. And so, maybe, just maybe, we might have revival. Maybe just maybe we might live different. Maybe life with God might be more abundant today. So in the words of Jesus, don't be afraid, get up. In the words of the God, in the clouds calling out, listen to Jesus. Lord, we ask that you might turn our hearts to you. You might turn our spirits, our hands and feet that that we might listen to your son we ask that our lives might be transformed that we might not be able to live the same that your word might fully get inside of us and then shine out from us or for those who have felt distant from you i ask that you might reveal yourself like that prodigal son's father that who runs out to them that that there's nothing to fear about coming back to you. There's just love. Lord, I ask that you might give us renewed interest, renewed curiosity, renewed wisdom, that we might explore your words for us that have been handed down to us, that the thousands of years of of your faithful community and the scriptures might speak afresh to us that we might be able to read those things with your eyes, that we might have love, that we might might see where you are moving today. Lord, I ask that you might mold us more fully into your image. God, I ask as we continue in this worship service that you might change our demeanor, you might change our, our appearance, that we might not be weighed down but we might shine bright with your light and lord i ask that we might not just want to linger in that light but that we wouldn't want to hide it we want to extend it out to our friends our families our neighbors our co-workers would let your light shine it's in your name jesus that we pray amen